Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. This week, we look at the North Korean nuclear test. Within hours of the announcement that the North Koreans had staged a test, the UN Security Council was meeting in emergency session. But how dangerous is this development, and what's likely to happen next? Joining me in the studio is James Blitz, the FT's defence editor, and Christian Oliver, a former FT correspondent in South Korea. And on the line is Simon Mundy, the paper's current bureau chief in Seoul. James, if I can start with you, there's some suggestion that this particular test, the third, is more threatening because it reveals more advanced technology. Could you talk us through that? Yes, I think that is the view of experts. As you know, uh, North Korea, it's had a program for around 20 years, and it's conducted two underground tests in 2006 and 2009. But this third one is worrying and seems to cross a red line for a number of reasons. First of all, it looks as though the North Koreans seem to have miniaturized the device which conducts the explosion, and therefore they're more and more in a position to place that device on top of their missiles, which have a range of about 800 miles. So they've managed to get to the point where they can lock the warhead, or they're getting close to the point where they can lock the warhead and the ballistic missile together. The second thing that's worrying is that, although we don't know it for sure yet, it looks as though they may well have moved away from using as a fissile material plutonium, which they certainly did for the first test, to enriched uranium. And that's important for a number of reasons. First of all, if they have enriched uranium, they've got much more of an industrialised nuclear weapons program going. They can get many, many more bombs developed. Secondly, it's impossible to see what they have on the ground. You can hide an enriched uranium plant much more easily than you can the plutonium facility at Yongbyon, which is clearly visible. And the third big worry, I I think, is that enriched uranium is something that you can export to other countries. And that's where the North Koreans are also worrying. They've got a long history of attempted proliferation, especially to the Middle East, of course, in Syria. They set up the Syrian nuclear reactor destroyed by Israel in 2007. And the risk is that they will proliferate uranium enrichment capability, possibly even miniaturized bombs. It's not inconceivable to other countries. So there is a real sense this time that they have crossed a red line in a way they have not done before. Simon, what's been the reaction from South Koreans? Have they been surprised and uh, appalled by this North Korean development or were they expecting it? I don't think there's been a great deal of of surprise in South Korea. I think there have been indications for some time based on satellite photography um, and other intelligence sources that uh, there was likely to be a test around this time of the year. Um, Within the country, people, there's there's a sense of um, that the people have got used to these sorts of provocations from time to time. Having said this, I think over the past two months, the perceived threat from North Korea does seem to have escalated. First of all, we had the first successful satellite launch in December, uh, which showed significant progress towards intercontinental ballistic missile capability. Um, that's more of a, a raising the threat to America because North Korea already has missiles that can reach South Korea, of course. Um, but the fact that, as James has said, the progress towards a functioning 
nuclear device now appears to be quite substantial. That has certainly raised some concerns in South Korea. And it's put added pressure on the incoming government. Park Geun-hye, the new president, will take power on February the 25th. She made much, especially in terms of setting out her stall to overseas observers. She, she wrote a, a piece in Foreign Affairs talking about how she wanted to rebuild the relationship with North Korea. She wanted to move to what she calls a, a trust-based relationship. Um, so this has really put the spotlight on her. How does she respond to this? Does she continue to pursue uh, attempts to build dialogue? She raised in the past the possibility of meeting with Kim Jong-un. Does she stick to that? Or will she feel the need to step back somewhat from her relatively open approach to the dialogue? Will she feel the need to take a tougher stance, perhaps more on the lines of Im Yong-bak, a predecessor? It really raises a lot of very important questions for the incoming president just a couple of weeks before she takes office. Christian, what about the North Koreans themselves? I mean, there had been some talk that uh, Kim Jong-un was a reformist, that uh, things were beginning to change, he was more open. Does this test just suggest that this is the North Korea we've always known? Yes, I think a lot of this was based on style rather than substance, the way that Kim Jong-un presented himself in the media, riding around on roller coasters and that sort of thing. When it comes fundamentally to what his probably his father's mission statement was on how to run the country, it's still based very clearly on this ideology of Songun, which is the military first, how he deals with the military. He's very interestingly seems to have purged the military quite substantially. But part of what he's doing here, yes, it's a sign of intent that can be read internationally, but it's also in terms of who he is at home and how he represents himself with his own military. It's a very important propaganda um, thing domestically presenting himself as the commander-in-chief. And they might roll out the advancements that put his name by these things. In terms of reform of the state, I don't believe there's terribly much he can do without bringing the state down around him. Certainly very interesting changes are afoot in North Korea at the moment. Because of the building up of merchant class, the amount of trade that's going on there, people producing their own goods, barter economy, there are very interesting fractures in the society. But I don't think this is something that his regime can really manage. His priority is still the military. I don't see him as a a, a real reformist in any sense. James, do you think we're going to see a new form of international reaction? Because, as I understand it, over the last decade of, of this, there been alternating periods of getting tough and sanctions, trying to talk to them, but also a vague sense of impotence that there's not much we can do about it. We sort of have to live with the, the fact that North Korea is, has gone nuclear. But the new technology that you refer to, does it, if it raises the level of threat, are we going to see a new form of international reaction? Well, that I think is the key question. And I think to drill down to the central point, I think it's a question of how China responds uh, more than anything else. Up until now, China has basically taken a rather benign and passive approach. It doesn't want to destabilize North Korea. It clearly sees North Korea as a kind of bulwark against the U.S. presence in the South. It does not want to do anything untoward. It also has a good trading relationship with North Korea. It is reliant, I think, on North Korean mineral wealth, products, and so on. But things have changed now, and I think you've got a new leadership in China with Xi Jinping and... There's a couple of interesting things. First of all, that the Chinese made it very, very clear before this test happened that, that they didn't want to see it happen. 
and that they hadn't done before. So they also, they have been given indication they think a red line has been crossed. That's the first thing. Secondly, they've got to think very hard about what the consequences are now. It's perfectly legitimate for South Korea to turn around and really accelerate its ballistic missile defense program and also Japan. And that means having a much stronger U.S. presence in the region. And that's something they don't want to see. So the big question now, when all is said and done, is how is the Chinese leadership going to respond? Is it going to really give the green light to much tougher UN Security Council sanctions? That's the key question. Well, Simon Christian, perhaps we can I'll end by asking you for your reactions on that. Simon, do you agree that that's the key question? And how, how do you in the region see the Chinese as playing this? I actually spoke quite recently to somebody who's been involved uh, in multilateral negotiations involving North Korea over some years. Uh, In his opinion, China needs North Korea more than North Korea needs China, even though China is by far North Korea's most important trading partner, and it is a, a hugely important factor to the continuing relative stability of the North Korean economy or the avoidance of collapse. But in fact, China, really, the last thing it wants uh, is a a collapse of the North Korean regime because of the instability that it would cause, you know, refugees coming across the border into China's northeast, which is already one of the more deprived areas of the country, as well as the possible disorderly reunification of Korea, the the possibility of a a U.S. ally on its borders. So, in fact, um, North Korea, according to this person, really feels that it doesn't need to fear angering uh, China too much. And it's worth remembering as well that there's, there's not a great deal of love lost, I think, between these two countries. For pretty much the whole of the 1990s, there was not a single visit by a Chinese official to North Korea. Supposedly, the, there was a very bad relationship between Deng Xiaoping and Kim Jong-il after Deng Xiaoping was hugely angered by an attack in, uh, in Rangoon on the South Korean government that uh, made a mockery of him after he'd promised America that that kind of thing wouldn't happen anymore. So it hasn't been um, a particularly close relationship for quite some time. So when we see signs that China is unhappy with North Korea, that wouldn't be the first time. Um, Christian, could I ask you for, for your reaction on how you think the Chinese are going to play this and also ask you perhaps a, a very basic question, which is should we be concerned that the North Koreans might actually use a nuclear weapon? First of all, um, on China, I would say that there's certainly a big body of opinion, certainly Chinese diplomats in the foreign ministry who represent the sort of wet camp, if you like, certainly do say, well, there's very little we do. We don't like it, but we're backed into this position. The fascinating tester of accountability for China now is there are lots of still quite pro-North Korean people deep within the military in China who do rather like North Korea. They support it actively. There's that body, of course, in China who are involved with essentially ascending defectors to their deaths. There is a moral and ideological and practical and rather sort of turbid business collection uh, relationship between some very important camps in China. And the test of accountability now is whether those guys will step back because it's very easy for the mainline diplomats to condemn North Korea. But there's certainly an, a level of you know equipment going into North Korea that shows support beyond their previous upset. There's a kind of North Korean lobby, in other words. There's a powerful North Korean lobby, and they like somebody who still stands up to the US, stands up to Japan. China can't do this on the international stage anymore, but here's a little nation that does that part of the dirty work for them. We will now see to what extent this part of the Chinese body keeps working, and that is the interesting thing, because it's more than 
just a sort of passive, we have to accept this. There is a real pro-North Korean body in China as well. And that rather basic question I asked you, need we fear Um, them using the weapon? I think in terms of, there's a lot of stuff about the North Koreans are crazy. North Koreans are illogical that is not true and not substantiated. The main danger always, as we have seen with uh, military activity with the North Korea, is what happens when the chain of command breaks down, if there's an accident, when the system comes down. There is, for example, no real plan coordinated by all the nations around North Korea for what happens if everybody has demobilized. We get a sort of Pristina incident where everybody's racing towards Pyongyang or trying to find the nuclear installations. Commanders are encouraged within North Korea to make bold decisions for themselves. So you don't want to be the person reporting back to your senior commander that you have failed to engage the enemy or do what you were told. So always with the nuclear, you know, we don't know what their safety controls are with you know the, the use of their nuclear facilities but the greatest danger with north korea is always a confusion and a breakdown of order there so in terms of deployment are they going to launch an attack against japan no but how, do we need to be very worried about the total breakdown of command yes okay christian oliver here in london james yeah. blitz also thank you very much and thank you yeah. to simon mundy in the region that's it for this week until next week goodbye For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.